You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, Mike Jones will play. Um, oh yeah, Mike Jones. Yeah. Oh my god, he played zero snaps in a game where they were struggling, you know, to cover anybody at the linebacker position, you know, despite being the best cover linebacker in America last year. Uh, you know. Yeah. Makes sense. guys it has been far too long since we've done this almost a year about nine months ten months but a sneaky good podcast we've dug it back up from the grave uh we don't have the whole crew like normal uh it's me zachary junda editor of and the valley shook and we've got max toscano our x's and o's man our film breakdown guru uh max say hello to our friends it's been a while yeah, you know, it's been a while, but it kind of feels like it hasn't. It feels like, you know, we just picked up right where he left off in, you know, December. Yeah. And uh, we've also got Podcat with us. He's uh, producing, and Podcat actually just got back from California. Uh, Podcat, if you have some time, why don't you regal us with your tales to sunny Los Angeles? Yeah. Um, I will have some sort of post later on next week, just as a full travelogue of how the trip went. Um, other than the disaster of a football game, it was a fantastic trip out to Los Angeles. I had a really great time. Um, I'm both in the air and on the ground. Uh, I What was originally going to be a trip this way both ways, I ended up taking the train back from Los Angeles to Louisiana um, over the course of two days and had a really great time with that and just had a fantastic time in Los Angeles. Uh, it's very easy to tell why so many people want to live in that city because – it was low, it was high 80s, low 90s the entire time I was there, but it certainly did not feel like it. With so little humidity and just this constant nice breeze, it was, it was thoroughly pleasant the entire time I was there and had just a great time. The Rose Bowl is a fantastic stadium. It is, I, w- I was fully expecting to go in there and be like, you know, everybody... Every reporter who ever says anything good about the Rose Bowl is just talking from a press box seat. They don't know how what a dump the actual stadium is, and that's not true at all. That is a beautiful stadium that they have done a, a miraculous job of keeping up to date and well maintained, and just was a fantastic place to watch a football game. And if LSU is ever playing in the Rose Bowl again, I'm going to try to go back because it was it was spectacular. Sounds like a spectacular venue, but a less than spectacular game. Kind of gives me uh, – this game gives me the UCLA game, of course. I, I know it's kind of late to rehash this game five, six days later, whenever this comes out. Uh, but this UCLA game reminds me so much of the Wisconsin game from 2016 at Lambeau Field where it's – it's and, and I went to that. I drove up to that game uh, where it's this great atmosphere, great environment against the – you know, I would say Wisconsin's on a higher tier than UCLA in terms of football, at least. But against a marquee opponent, Power Five opponent, LSU doesn't play too many Power Five opponents outside the SEC. Uh, and uh, I know in a true home and home, but in a, in a big environment like Lambeau Field, and then the game just sucked from an LSU perspective, at least. Um, Max, you're more of our, our film buff, our our strategy strategy guy or schematics guy just what went wrong well i mean it 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 depends on which side of the ball because like different things kind of went wrong so like on offense the entire problem is that they refuse to protect with more than five and six 
So they basically, you know, operate under this premise that their offensive line is really good and is able to hold up and that they're going to be able to run their entire offense. What actually happens is is a couple things. One, it doesn't hold up and teams are able to get pressure with four because they can't really block anybody because Charles Turner ends up starting at right tackle halfway through the game. Um, or, well, left tackle because Deculus came back, but regardless. And the other problem is that, like, you can't really do anything with that unless your quarterback is really, really good and is able to beat blitzes, you know, with his arm and identify where they're coming from and replace, kind of replace the blitz, you know, with the throw because, you know, teams are going to blitz you if they know you're going to protect with five and you have to have a guy that is, you know, smart enough to, and, you know, quick enough, um, and, you know, experienced and seasoned enough to be able to kind of respond to that and make you pay for it. And, And Johnson isn't like he, you know, he was afraid of the pressure the whole time, and, and I can't really blame him because he was under siege and he's a young quarterback, but like you can't expect him to go be Joe Burrow and react to free rushers like that and replace the blitz with the ball and you know make reads quick enough to get the ball out downfield, you know, early on enough in his progression that like you know the pressure doesn't get to you. And he's not that kind of guy. So if you want to generate any kind of downfield uh, you know, offense and be efficient, you're going to have to protect with more than, than six. And you're going to have to design concepts that are designed to, you know, be protected with six and seven instead of, you know, taking routes out of concepts that are designed to be run with five guys. Like it's kind of a philosophical approach that is to the root wrong and kind of assumes that Joe Burrow is going to be your quarterback on defense. It's just kind of the same stuff as a year ago. It's assignments, it's guys are in the wrong gap, it's guys are not picking up crossing routes from across the field, you know, when they're passed over to them. It's just the same, you know, it's Bo Pelini kind of stuff. It's They're playing, you know, the same cover one robber for a lot of the game. And like, and they're, oh, they're also in the same, you know, four down fronts that are just getting killed by, you know, all the stuff Chip Kelly, you know, attacked back in 2010. So that's what went wrong, which is pretty much everything on both sides of the ball. And, and it's just, it's so frustrating because we saw these basically shot for shot remake of all the struggles of last season. Like you, like you said, can't block, can't cover, can't pass off the right guys to each other, can't tackle. The tackling's really concerning. And that, that's more of an effort thing to me. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they're just running the wrong stuff defensively with the fronts and whatnot. And it's just frustrating because this should have been fixed. And it's like I said, it's almost literally the same exact problems. And I don't understand why this wasn't fixed. Ed said in his, uh, in his presser on Tuesday, I believe, uh, or maybe it was immediately after the game, but he said something to the extent of the stuff that killed us last year continues to haunt us. I'm sorry. I thought you were supposed to fix that by now. I I, I don't understand how this keeps happening um, just time after time after time. And I'm worried that he's not going to get another chance at fixing this, at least right. from a coaching hire perspective, because do you really get a, a fourth chance at this or a, f- a third chance at this, whatever this is? I, 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 I'm worried about this. This, this feels like 2016 for the wrong reasons again, because you know, for years, Les Miles promised he would change. He promised he change. Promised he change. Eventually, it just got to a point where, we're like, dude, this is enough. You got to go. And it seems like history. And funny enough, sixteen is when Ed Orgeron took over. Now, five years later, it's like it looks like the same thing's happening to Ed Orgeron. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like you know, I said on Twitter during the game that like you know, Ed Orgeron may find himself out the door. I, I and again, it is, it is premature because you know it's game one, but like. You know, it kind of feels like game 11 in a way, you know, piggybacking on the 10 games of last season. And like, it's similar to, to 2016 in that you kind of go in with this approach that doesn't really work. um, Except he has, you know, the slightly defensible, at least, you know, in a PR way, um, defense that it kind of worked. It really, really worked Two, just you know, two years ago, and they won a national title. When Les Miles stuff hadn't worked in a decade, but at the same time, like you have to realize that it didn't work in 2019 
because the way to generate efficient offense is by empty protecting your terrible offensive line and throwing super quick. It's that you had, you know, Joe Brady, who kind of really knew how to scheme that, that sort of offense, and Joe Burrow, who is one of the few college quarterbacks we've ever seen that is an advanced enough processor to operate it. Like Max Johnson is not Joe Burrow. And, and, and I don't understand how you could really be under the impression that he would be. Cause he's just, he's just freezing under pressure. He's, you know, forcing the ball in, you know, into dangerous situations just to get rid of it. And, you know, he ended the game with, zero big time throws and four turnover worthy plays which i mean that that's atrocious that's bizarrely bad and you're not putting him in situations to succeed i have to agree with you max uh seeing from what i saw in the stands and granted i have i have a horrible time of actually tracking a football game when i'm watching it live uh, much better at, at seeing stuff like that when it's on tv but just the impression i got watching uh, watching it in person was that Max has some, he's got some arm talent to him, but he is so green uh, for this offensive system, especially given the, the, the lackluster protection he had. There were multiple plays where I saw him throw the ball away as, rather than take a sack where I was extremely worried about his decision-making and throwing that ball up in the air Um I, that that multiple times it looked like they would be turnovers if he didn't put enough uh, effort underneath them. But I just I wonder because it's going to be you know going forward it's going to be at least a couple more weeks with Max. I'm not sure if they've given an update about when uh, we might see uh, when we might see Brennan again. I'm not sure if they've updated his status if he's yeah I have no idea. I can't imagine it's soon. Yeah, cause someone said. Someone said they're hoping to have him back by Alabama week. That that would be that would be unfair. That would probably be a very bad decision unless unless Max is uh, unless Max has been benched already well before the Bama game. I don't. That would be a horrible decision to make to bring him back for that uh, at that point. But um, well, I don't know. We've we've they'll you know what they'll probably I bet you what they'll do. They'll say he's back at the bye week, right? Because we've got another we've got the bye week before Bama as usual, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, Halloween yeah, that, weekend. That that very much sets up for them to to announce like the Tuesday of the bye week that he's he's back to working with the team and starting for Bama. Anyway, that's that's far down the road. But I just I, I it's on the offensive side especially. I think it's going to be a rough month or two uh, with this because I don't think. I, it doesn't look like Max is that ready for the play calling that we're doing, and he certainly does not have the offensive line in front of him to get comfortable with it. I mean, the next two weeks, surely it'll be more what he needed to start a game, but against that UCLA team, which was very much – this was Chip Kelly getting a team ready for, spectacularly for the first game of the season. They – that UCLA team was out for blood the whole time. And as soon as they saw that Max was uncomfortable back there, they just, it felt like they made his life a nightmare the entire night. It was, they really did. And like, you know, they kept, they kept bringing, you know, the same blitz package the whole time. Um, They were rushing with, you know, six guys on, you know, on early downs, like they were playing at a point early downs, like they were obvious passing situations. So you would see a lot of, you know, pretty crazy rotations in the secondary to kind of change the picture on the quarterback, which, you know, he freaked out about because, you know, when one challenge for a quarterback that makes obvious passing situations so much more difficult is that the pre-snap look in the secondary doesn't really match the post-snap look because you don't have to worry about guys in run support. Um, and up front, like, you know, you'll get a lot of crazy pressure packages that, that throw you off. And, and he was getting those on early downs because LSU is incapable of running the football. And like, they refused to adjust by, you know, protect, like they were playing, they were bringing zero blitzes on, you know, first and 10, like that's a great time to, you know, load up, protect with seven and take shots especially when you have like a superstar X receiver who's going to be able to generate separation deep on almost anybody without safety help. And, you know, they kind of just, you know, 
decided that, oh, the solution is just to get the ball out quicker, just get the ball out quicker. Well, I mean, when you have a guy who isn't a good enough processor to really handle, you know, bullets flying at him like that, you know, he's going to panic and he's not going to get the ball to the right place. And on the other hand, like, it's just not efficient to only be able to throw the ball quick. Teams will realize that they'll press their DBs and, you know, they'll tackle you for four yard gains and force you into, you know, third and six, third and seven. And, you know, you're right back in those adverse, obvious passing situations. Like you need to be able to generate explosive plays and, and they're not able to, unless they start to protect it more, but then they'll just be paring down their concepts that are pretty designed to be run with five, which, you know, is what we saw in 2018 with Ensminger and Sullivan. That's what they were doing, you know, with concepts designed to be run from, you know, empty protections. And that, and that itself is another problem that doesn't really work. Like you go watch an offense like Ole Miss Like they have a lot of great play action concepts that are, you know, with three guys and a check release underneath that are designed to be protected pretty heavy. And and they take a lot of responsibility in processing off of Matt Corral's plate, Uh, you know, which is kind of like he's a great thrower. He's a very bad processor. Like when he's thrown into obvious passing situations and, you know, it gets tricky on him, he really falls apart. Like he's like he's I, I, I suspect that unless he's improved in that regard significantly. He's going to be a really bad NFL quarterback, but like you see how they never put him in those situations because they're efficient. They're generating explosive plays. You know, they're keeping the processing simple with play action and, and, you know, RPOs where you can pick up, you know, which key you read pre-snap and throw to one of like three guys. Those are, you know, brutal to defend, but easy for a quarterback to run. And, And this is just not an easy offense to run. For a quarterback, it's in. It's I have you know never seen. Well, I don't want to say never because there's a lot of college football teams, but it's rare to see a young, somewhat under talented quarterback asked to do this much. Like he is asked to be Joe Burrow, and it's crazy. We need to. I feel like we need to put a stop on the, or at least Orjan needs to. This 2019 offense about we're trying to recreate it, we're trying to bring it back. We, we got to stop doing this. That's that's yeah. not going to happen again. There's there's no Joe there's no Joe Burrow anymore. There's no Chase. There's no Marshall. There's no Jefferson. There's no Clyde Edgerlair. There's no uh, Thaddeus Moss. There's no Joe Brady. That was just a perfect set of circumstances. The right meshes of skills, personalities. I, I get what he's – I know when Orgeron said we're trying to bring it back, what he means, but just to constantly keep comparing today to that 2019, that's never going to happen again. I mean, because it, it's literally the best college offense ever. Like, you, you can't recreate that. And I I don't know – and Max, you can probably speak of this more because that's more of your game – I don't know how, how you can fix this or how you can make like a like a Diet Coke version of 2019 offense because I think that's what they're trying to do. But what I saw Saturday night was more like the 2018 offense of just we can't run um, and we're going to keep six guys, seven guys in tight and somehow we still can't block with that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's like I would be – you know, I, I look. I would have preferred it if they designed an offense that could have you know your 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 seven man protections, play action, and everything like kind of like Ole Miss runs, like uh, you know Arkansas. I wish they had better players because their system is actually quite good, uh, but they just. I mean, their quarterback is really really bad. Um, you you see it a lot with Kent State, who I think runs one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, I would love to see that with with more talented players. You see it with Alabama. Like, even they don't ask their incredible offensive line to protect, you know, with with five at this level. Like, they will protect with seven, and they'll call, you know, those three-man downfield concepts and blow you up for big plays. But, like, the, what I think is eventually going to happen is they're going to realize that they do have to protect with more. They're going to kind of chip away at their concepts to add some guys, and then you end up with concepts designed to be run with you know four or five guys out you know running routes with like two or three and that's what happened in 2018 like they realized they couldn't protect they kind of hulked up and they had to destroy their past concepts in the process 
But like this time, you don't have Joe Burrow running the offense. Like Joe Burrow, you know, I know he improved from 2018 to 2019 quite a bit, but like not as much as people think. He was quite good, but the situation was just so adverse that he just, you know, he struggled to function, especially against good defenses like that Mississippi State game where where they had, you know, they had the best defense of the country. But like it, it, the time to fix it is it, is pretty much over. I mean, you can do things to ameliorate it and make it a little bit better. Uh, like, you know, they have their, uh, you know, Seth and Deontay Lee were talking about this on, you know, their podcast over at PFF. Like LSU has that, that you know, doubles concept with the, uh, you know, the two outside, you know, vertical reads where the receivers have the option to um, either just go, you know, run go routes or stop if their defenders have vertical leverage. And, you know, that slot receiver has that middle read where he can run like a deep over. Or he can just, you know, bang a post between the safeties. Like LSU ran that a lot in 2019 with two underneath routes, but you can leave guys in to protect and throw that on a seven man protection. And, you know, you have the alpha receiver on the outside to, uh, to kind of get that separation. And like, so there are some things you can do, but this is just not an offense whose concepts are designed to be run from seven man protections. And that's sort of the problem. You have to design them kind of around that. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do off play action. You know, you see Oklahoma do it with their sting concepts where the, uh, you know, the receiver runs a shallow cross and then kind of climbs into the area behind the linebackers. Uh, the, like they, they kill teams with that and that takes a long time to develop, but you know, they're protecting with seven. So it's fine. Hey, Max, speaking of, uh, of Arkansas and pass blocking, what do you make of, and it, it's, I know it's unfair to make judgments and referendums after one game, but um, you know, LSU hired Brad Davis to be the offensive line coach in June, July, something like that. And, and granted, there hasn't been a lot of time together with the line and Coach Davis but at the same time, I look at this offensive line and I see a whole bunch of returning experience. I mean, Austin Deculus um, could very easily set the record for most games played in an LSU uniform when once the season ends. Liam Shanahan, second year at LSU, spent four years at Harvard. Jason Hines has played a bunch. Cam Wire played just about as much as Dare Rosenthal last year. Uh, and Ed Ingram has been an anchor of the offensive line for a couple years at left guard. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the balance between, well, it's a new coach, but also, look, man, you guys have been together a long time. Y'all just gotta, y'all gotta man up. So, wh- wh- how do you strike that balance? I mean, the problem. The Shoot, problem. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Max. Before you, before you jump in with it, yeah, I want to, I want to add to that a quote that we got from Ed Ingram uh, this week in one of the player interviews and. I'm reading off a uh, Scott Ravelay's report here. Talk, they're talking about the issues that they had in the game. Uh, and Ingram said players were injured and the O-line was tired and out of shape during the game. And he put the blame of it on the, the coaching transition during the summer and blamed it on a difference in coaching technique, which to me, I mean, I have no idea what offensive line coaching is like, obviously, but something that's uh, – it, it strikes me as odd that there could be – a a difference in coaching so severe to cause these kind of issues. I mean, then like my question is why does it look exactly the same as last year? Like, you know, it, it it's not like a, a change in coaching technique when offensive linemen who were pretty much never good were just not good. Like Austin Deculus looked like the Austin Deculus of the last four years. Like Austin Deculus, like I hope he doesn't hear this because that guy can rip me in half with his bare hands. But like at no point during his LSU career has Austin Deculus been particularly good. Like there's a reason he's still here. Um, cause otherwise he would, with, you know, his, his physical profile and, and his recruiting profile, he would have hopped to the NFL by now. Uh, but like, I mean, you know, you got Charles Turner playing significant snaps. Liam Shanahan is a transfer from Harvard. Like, I mean, these, uh, at some point, these guys just aren't really that good. Like it's an under recruited offensive line. It's they. I don't think they have a like. I think I don't remember if Deculus was a five star, but like if he is, he's the only five star in that on that offensive line. You know, I guess besides Cardell Thomas, who hasn't. I don't. Has he played a snap in his LSU career? Like 
it, it's just not as te- it's just like you know Ed Ingram's not going to go in front of the media and say, "Hey, look, you know we're just not good. We're not good. At, we're not that good at college football." But like it's it, it's not a good offensive line, and I and, and they should not have designed their offense in a way that expects their offensive line to be good because it like you know they're experienced, but I mean they're just not that good. And I just, I just wonder what the fix is um, because people say, well, I think now the depth is starting to be an issue, but we heard a lot last year about, well, she doesn't recruit offensive linemen. No, they do. They have plenty of bodies. They just haven't developed them. I think is a, is the bigger sin of the two. Um, but you're right. I mean, like Cardell, yeah, is the only five star on there. Um, Garrett Dellinger, is a high four star if I remember right. He's definitely a four star, but a top one hundred last year's cycle. But I mean, you can't you can't expect a true freshman, uh, especially a tackle, to come in. And if, if you're expecting Garrett Dellinger to like save your season, you're cooked already. Um. So I, I again, I don't I don't know what the fix is. I don't know if they have to reevaluate who they target in recruiting because. Uh, you know, Louisiana, aside from Will Campbell, who's in the class, Louisiana really doesn't recruit or uh, develop offensive linemen at the high school ranks. I don't know if you have to go to these Midwestern states, a la Garrett Dellinger. Um, although Davis, from what I understand, has a, a reputation of getting some pretty significant offensive line players, uh, high school players to sign. He, he got some guys to sign with Arkansas who Arkansas normally would never get. I, I wonder if it's just it's it's like a tree and you have to plant it and just let it grow and and, and water it and eventually it'll pay, it'll pay off dividends come twenty twenty two or twenty three. But I don't think anyone here has the patience to wait a, another year or two for offensive line to develop. Yeah, I mean, it is it. It's not like they've recruited you know catastrophically, but given the way they've recruited other positions like receiver, like safety for some weird reason, like I don't know why you have to have. First of all, they, they didn't play well at safety, but those guys are freshmen, you know, that are are five stars. Like you don't have, like you don't have to have two five star safeties. You probably should have two five star offensive linemen. Like there are five, there are two safeties, there are five offensive linemen. Uh, well, or there are three safeties if you play Iowa State's or Clemson's defense, which you know is not too bad because I like it. But like, I mean, you need they 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 need more. Like they need to not be in a situation where they are turning to people like Charles Turner. They don't have a lot of offensive line depth. And like, you know, when Austin Deculus is your and Cardell Thomas are your highest recruited players, like, yeah, it's a development. It's partially a development issue, but like they're kind of experiencing the same thing Clemson is at a a a bigger, like at a bigger scale, at a more catastrophic scale. Like they they under recruit the offensive line relative to, you know, other positions. And and, and like they need like Yes, they recruited, you know, decently objectively, but when you compare it to the other ostensible top programs, it's not even close. Like they, 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 I don't even want to bring Alabama into this because that's not really fair, but like, you know, even, you know, Ohio State has, you know, multiple really, really good offensive linemen. Like they recruit and develop it. Georgia certainly does. I mean, Georgia recruits offensive line great. Like that's a more appropriate comparison. Like you need to you need to be able to keep pace with that. And I think that goes to another problem that we had in that game was that man, a- along with Mac Johnson's problems of just being a you know to me a, a green a green quarterback kind of thrust into a situation he probably wasn't ready for. But man, the rushing game was from Davis Price was damn near non-existent in this game. It it felt like. They didn't get much when they tried it, and they didn't. They didn't even try it very much at all. It felt it was such a. It it felt very un uh, like a very unbalanced attack once things stopped working for LSU last weekend. Can, can yeah, I ask something? Yeah, go for it. Why Why is a program like LSU with the history it has at running back, especially? Why Why are we? Why are they counting on former walk-on Josh Williams? Like, and I, I don't want to take anything away from the kid because obviously he's a much better athlete than I'll ever be. But I, like, where's 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 Kiner? You know, and I understand Omar Goodwin was hurt. I understand John Emery's having his issues, but 
you're putting in Josh Williams ahead of Corey Kiner. I, I don't understand the roster management either. Yeah, I mean, you know, the other problem is like, I don't know why they didn't play Kiner. They should have played Corey Kiner. Um, but like, the problem is not necessarily, you know, running backs. Like, they should have a five star in John Emery, you know, injuries, you know, whatever, and a high four star in Davis Price. Like, you that, that should be a good enough one two punch. But the problem is, like, the problem with the run game is, you know, one, their offensive line is bad and can't block. Two, they ref- like they their entire philosophy is to try to empty the box and then run, you know, inside zone into these empty boxes. Like people were doing, you know, nine years ago to great like well, that's what Lane Kiffin was doing a lot at Alabama. Um but like you know, you can't do that anymore because teams are going to line up and like like UCLA played a lot of that game in t- in the tight front, which is, you know, the front Dave Arandi used to run where you have, you know, two four-eye techs on the in- inside shoulder of the tackles and then a zero-tech lined head up on uh, the center. So what those guys are going to do is they're going to two-gap and they're going to collapse the middle and, you know, try to bounce you out to these, you know, free linebackers who are, you know, ready to go run those linebackers or run run those, you know, lateral running backs down. Um, and so you're basically able to in that situation, you know, stop and stuff their run game with fewer guys in the box because you've got that middle collapse uh, against, you know, inside zone and, and they refuse to adjust. Like they were in tight the whole game. All you had to do, you know, run counter. Like they don't, they don't have any of those same side runs. Uh, This is another thing that Seth and Deontay Lee were pointing out. Like they'll just, they'll just blitz the running back. Because they know which they know that all of their runs, except for their you know duo from 2019, which they don't re- they didn't really run, um, are going to cross the face of the quarterback and go and go across. So they'll just you know blitz the opposite path, um, and yeah, it's they they refuse to get out of inside zone. Like you can you know you run counter. Um, I wrote a piece about this before the season. Because I, I I figured this was going to happen because this happened last year. They just they just didn't get out of inside zone, and you know you run plays like counter, you run pin and pull, which um, Chip Kelly scored that touchdown on that everybody on film Twitter was freaking out about, where they had you know the center and the uh, I forgot which other lineman pulled. I did I, I'll need to watch it again um, and just took out LSU's two spilling linebackers like. You know, you're going to need to get into these gap schemes, you know, with with multiple pullers where you kind of attack the perimeter against against these tight front teams. And to Ed Orgeron's credit, he did say um, that that's their plan. But like, where was it? You lost the game. The game is over. Like, how does it not get called? I, I, I don't know. I don't think Ed knows what he's doing anymore. Um, and we can maybe talk about Ed and his future later on in the season, save that discussion for another time. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not optimistic about it. Um, Max, PK, were there any positives you guys could take away from Saturday night besides Keishon Butte? Uh Besides him? Damn, you took mine. Uh yeah, exactly. That that was mine too. <laughs> I mean, um, like, I don't know. Eli Eli Ricks is, is still really good. Like, I, I was going to ask what you guys. Corners. I was going to ask because the Stingley Ricks thing, they weren't challenged, but I don't know if that was because of reputation or because of design, but also that that tackle that Stingley whiffed on in the. I don't know if it was late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Yeah, that was quarter. brutal. That's that's tough. But at, at, on the other hand, you know, if you're expecting Derek Stingley to make the stop, I, I feel that's a bigger uh, referendum on the defense as a whole. But at the same time, if Stingley's this, you know, best cornerback prospect since Patrick Peterson and top three log for for the draft, you got to make that tackle, man. Yeah, you're right. It, it Stingley very much is a different kind of corner. You know, it, it he doesn't he it's it's weird that he does get talked up 
so much like uh, the reputation that Patrick Peterson had, but he's very much a different type of corner where it's, uh, or he, I, I, it's like you said, he, he, that, that was a big one, but honestly, it felt like he and most, much of the many, most of the corners were not, ha- did not have a great night. Uh, it tackling felt, uh, and this is something I feel like I say almost ever after every LSU loss. So maybe it's just too cliche, but Tackling felt extremely poor from this defense, especially the corners in that game. Um, I, I, I don't know how that gets fixed. Yeah, I mean they're uh, they're you know they're 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 worried about you know other things, just their general coverage assignments, all you know whatnot. Uh, but I mean the tack, you know, missed tackles kind of happen when the game's moving too fast for you, or you're just bad at tackling, like. Uh, but, you know, the tackling is, you know, kind of the smaller of the problems considering guys just aren't in places to make even make plays. As for Stingley, I, I got to say, I don't care about how my corners really tackle because, um, you know, that's not really their job. Every defensive coordinator knows that, you know, you don't really want your corners to tackle. Yes, you got to make that tackle. Yeah, it was brutal because it turned into a touchdown, but, you know, it's whatever. Uh, they just they weren't throwing at Stingley and Ricks really at all. Um, because they didn't have to. So, you know, they were running a lot of, you know, these crossers and overs off of play action that were just victimizing LSU's linebackers and the fact that LSU wouldn't get out of single high. Like those, you know, play act, like that touchdown they scored right after LSU's touchdown, the long touchdown to their tight end. Um, basically, you know, what they did is they, so they ran this, you know, this play action boot, uh, deep over route off of wide zone. Um, so it, it's straight out of, you know, Kyle Shanahan's playbook and how he attacks these single high, you know, press man defenses. So like you get the linebackers flowing so hard to the zone side that they're just not able to really turn around and cover the tight end running and over in the opposite direction. And because you're in single high, like the safety has to take that deep middle and can't really aggressively bite down on it. So he's wide open. So like, they were attacking LSU all night with those crossing routes in those situations. Um, and like they were throwing at linebackers basically the whole time. Like they didn't have to throw at Stingley and Ricks. You know, the one time they did throw at Ricks, they got picked off. Like Eli Ricks looked really good. Uh, Stingley a little bit less good. I still think he's obviously dealing with a nagging injury again, which happens. This is my conspiracy theory about LSU. Every time they have an incumbent star, they get a nagging injury in camp and it ruins and it kind of degrades their season. We saw it with Fournette. We saw it with the other running back that we don't talk about. We saw it with, um, Grant Delpit. We're seeing, we saw it with Stingley last year and we're seeing it with Stingley again. Um, I definitely think it's probably going to happen to Kayshawn Boutte next year. Uh, cause that's just how it goes. It's terrible and I hate it, but you know, everybody who puts on that seven Jersey, uh, but yeah, I mean, the corners were fine. The problem is, like, man, you don't really need to throw at corners when nobody else really knows their assignments and they're not, you know, schematically multiple enough to deal with it. Like, that, if I'm if I'm Alabama right now, I'm saying that's fine. I'm lining up, you know, I'm lining up speed at three. Like, I'm putting a receiver, you know, on the inside and I'm running vertical routes and I'm making those linebackers carry it because – you know, they're going to play single high the whole time. And I'm running those deep overs and I'm running, um, you know, all the stuff that you use to attack single high without really throwing at the corners. Um, and you know, if Stingley continues to kind of play hurt, maybe you can pop a shot over his head. Your receivers are good enough. Uh, that kind of goes for Ole Miss too, who is just going to rip this defense apart. I mean, this Ole Miss is, 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 you know, you give Lane Kiffin a single high defense, and man, he's gonna he's gonna kill it. PK, I I, I know I wasn't part of the side for the 2014 season, but but you were you were of course like the the godfather of Anza Valley Shook. Um, I want to ask your opinion of this because I, I remember especially after the 14 season when LSU gets uh, they get housed by Auburn, they get housed by Mississippi State at home, and there's this doom and gloom about oh God, we're gonna go uh, like four and eight or three and nine, we're going to miss a bowl game. It, it, it never comes out that badly for LSU because the talent is too much. But when you look at this schedule and you look at the same deficiencies as last year, I mean, w- w- what do you, what's like the worst case, but also like most realistic. Cause I, I, 
I, I think we might be heading towards a seven and five season. I mean, it would be it would really be shocking, even as bad as things look after the first game, uh, if LSU fell to a point where it it didn't make eligibility. That just for the talent that is on this team, it seems that that's an impossibility. But I'm looking, you know, I'm looking over the schedule. You got your you got your three gimmies that will get over the year in McNeese Central and ULM. Um, but the rest of it, I guess, at this point, you know, and it it does it does as certainly as as the low points in that felt in that season felt they certainly feel like we're we're there now, and that kind of happens after every bad loss feel like it feels like in the fan base. I mean not not to compare you losing to UCLA on the road against what is probably a top fifteen maybe at the end of the year top ten UCLA team. I I don't know. It's so hard to judge how. It's so hard to judge at this moment in after week one how good UCLA really is because they certainly have they certainly have some talent to them and it looks like they will be very they will be decent in the Pac-12 but what that means compared to the rest of the country is is always hard to judge but you know you expect some improvement but you're just looking at your looking at your schedule and you need three wins besides the gimme so what are we looking at you know the the their trip to Mississippi State at at the end of the month, uh, you know. Then we then we've got Auburn at home, which you know who who knows what Auburn. I, it's it's also hard because I'm not really sure what the bottom half of the SEC West looks like yet. You know, it's it's kind of hard to judge what all of those teams feel like after one week as well. Like, yeah, I certainly don't think we're beating Alabama in November. Obviously, I. If if A and M is as is as improved as everybody seems to think they will, they might be this year. The end of the November is going to be pretty rough as well. Yeah, that's a yeah. loss. That's a loss. You know, Ole Miss looked pretty damn spectacular against Louisville on Monday on on Monday night. But does is that? A, it's like you said. They're still certainly uh, they certainly won't have trouble with this defense. Uh, you know, at this point for S, I'm I'm trying to. I'm trying to find three SEC wins out of our schedule, and it looks like it's going to be difficult. You know, Mississippi State might be it, but maybe that's just my that maybe that's just my permanent bias against. I even after it's like it's like remember the start of last year when uh, uh, Leach comes in here and sets offensive records that probably won't be touched for another 15, 20 years, and then immediately face plants for the rest of that season. And Mississippi State is as bad as we all thought they were, and we just blamed ourselves and Bo Pelini for, for the outcome of that game. Uh, so maybe, uh, you know, if, if I'm looking for three SEC wins to get LSU Bowl eligible, I, offhand, I would guess Mississippi State, Kentucky, and then – you got to find another one. So, you know, probably they Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, they play. It's yeah. Arkansas. It's, it, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, very, it, it's actually probably, if I'm picking two that I would be more confident about, it would probably be Kentucky and Arkansas and then be worried about Mississippi State and then just got to find another one in there somewhere for, to, to get you over that line. I just, it's, we, we did this. You know, we we did this last year, and it turned out to be a team that that wasn't wasn't very good, but found a way, and thanks to Florida's help, got got to five hundred yeah. at the end of the year. Um, you know, it's a long season, so I don't want to I don't want to you know immediately doom and glooming right off immediately, but we need to see some serious improvement, and it's not improvement that we're going to see over the next two weeks against McNeese and Central Michigan. You know, it's. It's what does this team look like at the end of the month at Mississippi State in Starkville? You know, that's where, that's where you, that's where you really need to judge to see what this team is going to look like this year. Because, it, you know, as bad as the loss was at UCLA, that could easily turn into a quote-unquote good loss by the end of the year. We need to see what they can do to recover from what, if anything, they can find to do to recover from this over the next two weeks before they get to Starkville. Um, and that's, that's really when, if, if thing, if it's as bad now as it is, if it's as bad then as it is now, then you start looking around and say, well, is this a team that's going to make a bowl? And then when that, when that question, 
if when that question can't solidly be answered, that's when I start worrying about do they really do they really pull the trigger on looking at a coaching change, which I I don't like to make that speculation in week one, but boy, it's it's rough returns off to the first game, you know. There's we can all agree. There's like nothing whatsoever that they can do Saturday and next Saturday that's gonna make us go, oh golly, they fixed it, right? Right, no, right, no, really. nothing. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing to. There's nothing that this that this team can do to gain co- gain confidence from anyone against McNeese and Central Michigan. And frankly, th- frankly, that's the frankly no news is the only good outcome out of these two games. Anyway, right. what were you going to say, Max? Yeah, I mean, I, like Mississippi State, like you can beat Mississippi State if you simp- if you simply kind of choose to, uh, provided you're not like an FCS team. Uh, it, like if you drop eight, you know you play drop eight zone and clog up those quick passing windows. The air raid's dead. Like the the air raid is not really a like it certainly in that pure of form is not an offense you can run anymore because you can just choose to stop it. Like you watched every team except for LSU do that last year. They just dropped eight and you know nobody knew how to do anything. Uh, Washington had that figured out before anyone else. But like you can't you can't run the air raid if people are. You know, playing the tight front, dropping eight, and you know, playing zone. Uh, if LSU goes and plays man again, they're going to have problems. But like, if you go do that ag- again the year after getting nationally embarrassed, like at that point, like you do have like if that happens again, I think that's when I would decide to fire at Orgeron because you. How can that happen again? That's unbelievable. Agreed. That's but like uh, that that one game against Mississippi State got Bo Pelini fired almost immediately. I mean, like obviously he last yeah. stayed to the end of the season, but you you could tell that that hire was a that hire was a mistake on day one. And if we go in there and make the same exact mistake that he did, it's it's inexcusable, and it it, it is completely inexcusable if that happens. Yeah, I mean that that at that point, like if you go lose to Mississippi State doing the same thing, like. When there is such a clear and obvious blueprint that everyone else in the country knows to beat them, and you just can't beat Mississippi State because you know you refuse to do that, like yeah, we're, we're done here at that point. But like, I mean, they should beat they should beat Mississippi State if they choose to. Arkansas looks really bad, uh, so I think they'll beat Arkansas. Um, but like, oh, and Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, Kentucky I should probably be bad. But I think Texas A&M at this point given how good Mike Elko is at scheming up pressure and blitzing and you know and you know designing really cool uh, pressure packages, Johnson's going to get killed. And I can already tell you right now he's going to get killed like he did last year, uh, like he and Finley did last year. Um so that like I like I honestly think Texas like in in look unless the offensive line just, you know, becomes good all of a sudden uh, and they really, really fix things by then. Texas A&M is going to need like 17 points to win that game, and I think they're going to be able to get it because LSU is not particularly good at defense either. Uh, and yes, it's a long way away, so it's it's probably foolish to project the current team into that game. But as things stand right now, that's a blowout loss. Uh, obviously, Alabama um, and Ole Miss. Like Ole Miss is Ole Miss can score. You know, they would like last year if Matt Corral hadn't thrown five absolute, you know, psycho interceptions because, you know, that's kind of how he plays football. They would have, you know, they would have rung up 50 or 60 and won. Like, like it, it took five Matt Corral interceptions to be in that game. And like as, as crazy and, you know, mad scientist, lunatic, psycho as Matt Corral is behind center, you just can't expect that, especially since like, you know they've taken even more processing responsibility off his plate with play action and RPOs. Uh, so like I, I, it's hard for me to imagine watching LSU win that game. Um, but again, we'll see. Like they, they just played Louisville, who's so bad. Louisville's terrible. So I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough though, and they're gonna lose to Alabama like sixty one three. Like Alabama's defense is way better than last year, and. Let me tell you, they aren't going to need to blitz to get pressure on LSU. So that's that's going to be that's going to be tough to deal with. And of course, their offense is absurd. Yeah, I, 
I didn't get to see uh, as it was traveling for the for the game this week. I didn't get to actually see much yet of the rest of the teams of the country, other than watching like the first half of Ole Miss blow out Louisville and turning that that stuff off midway through. But it def just looking at numbers, boy, that I don't know why there was this push from some people that maybe Alabama was going to have a down year or something like they look they nope, look as never. good as they always have under Saban. It's it's it, it's ridiculous, but it seems like they're just there again. So, you know, we, we got our win when we could, and now it's back to business as usual for them. Uh, any uh, Anything that we want to pull out for the weekend here? Um, I mean, there's really nothing that much to talk about against Nice other than, like, you know, if <laughs> if it goes disastrously, maybe O gets his kid to transfer here to play quarterback. I don't know. Yeah, how wild would it be if uh well at that point uh there's there's not going to there's not going to be a here Fred Orgeron if they lose to Big Nice. But uh it would be pretty wild if Cody Orgeron walks into Death Valley and just ruins his dad's career. That would be a a good 30 for 30 one day if they actually win that game. So, I don't want to like I'm not rooting against LSU. I'm rooting for LSU, but like, you know, the agent of chaos in me would not be a uh, not be too uh, like I, I'd be intrigued by that possibility to say the least. But no, please don't lose to McNeese. Well, I, I I don't think it's honestly any sort of possibility. I mean, we're talking about them. No, no, that, it's not. They're awful. They got they just lost to West Florida. Yeah, they had a pretty awful. I don't even know who they are. Yeah, that's a. I want to say that's a Division two team. Huh? They're D two. I had to look it up. Like ESPN didn't even have a logo for their team. So if you lose, if you have a transitive loss. To a team that doesn't have a logo on ESPN, you're fired immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's I. I and this is too also going to be one of those games where the mood in the stadium is going to be extremely weird because, you know, it, it won't be. It definitely won't be a full house, even though it, they're finally back to full capacity. I just. I don't think it was going to be either way anyway because it's it's an in-state you know it's an in-state game so. Half a good a good large chunk of that crowd will be McNeese fans uh, who just love to have an excuse to come out to the stadium. I'll, I'll say that much. It, it will be. I can see it maybe even being a 50-50 crowd just because I think the LSU side of attendance will be very down and the McNeese side will be very up. Looking forward to even if even if McNeese fans know going in they don't have a chance of winning, they still they travel pretty damn well. For an in-state of the in-state schools that we play in that kind of rotation that we have right now. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, like, if I were a non-LSU fan, I would be rooting very hard for McNeese because that would be wild. But like, it, I think the atmosphere is going to be kind of. It's going to be. It's probably going to be pretty. Like, I'm obviously not going to be there because I'm in Connecticut right now. <laughs> but like, it's going to be. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Like there's going to be McNeese fans are going to travel. It's the first full capacity game in Tiger Stadium in, you know, 2 years since since everything was totally different. Um and like yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun place to be. I'm I'm hoping so. The weather the weather uh, I don't know, Max. <laughs> I yeah, I don't I don't know if fun's the word I would use to describe it. It's certainly Oh, I don't know what the weather's going to be. It'll be, it'll, be bad. it'll be the weather so far looks to be perfect. It's going to be unseasonably cool this weekend. So I, I I will actually probably have a very enjoy for a September game in Tiger Stadium. It's going to be very enjoyable uh atmosphere wise, but I don't I don't know that the mood I would describe the mood in that stadium is is going to be fun in any way like uh, that's true, but I mean, like all the story, you know, the storyline, the in-state rivalry. I don't know. I guess it'd be more fun for an objective reporter than a fan of either team, because one team, you know, kind of has a reeling, fallen from grace program, and the other is about to get the tar beaten out of them. So, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and that's why we're why we're tailgating for seven hours beforehand. Just you know, that's how that's how you get the road right. You know, you start where. Yeah. We're going to get a uh, – the ATVS crew is going to have a nice long jambalaya tailgate and it's starting at about 7 a.m. on Saturday. So we should be just fine. Yeah, I'm going to try to get down for the uh, A&M game. I want to I check that out. Oh, yeah, I need to come down from Nashville. We need to get the, we need to get the entire staff in for yeah. a game. Yeah, we got to coordinate. As close as possible. 
Yeah. Uh, is there anything nationally we want to touch on? Any uh, or you want to do any picks for the game? I've, I've got the picks post that I am trying to finish up this this evening to get out of uh, for anybody who's playing the um, pick 'em game on the website this year. Um, yeah, I, I posted the odds from our friends at DraftKings. Uh, let me just say again for the post: if if you're betting on Pittsburgh, Tennessee, call one eight hundred Gambler because yeah, 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 yikes. Uh, same probably goes for NC State, Mississippi State. That's probably a little too wacky to, to bet on. Please don't, please don't bet on those games, y'all. It is. Don't. I, I will say, don't bet on Iowa, Iowa State either. You have no idea what's going to happen in that game. I don't think any of us do. That is that matchup. I'm actually really excited for because like Iowa State has built their defense to deal with these hyper spread Big Twelve offenses. They're playing three high safeties. They're playing, you know, four or five man boxes and they're able to stop the run with it. But like if Iowa State is able or if uh, Iowa is able to get, you know, a little creative in the run game, like they could actually kind of turn back the clock and have their offense be right. Um, maybe not, you know, but like it's I'm interested to see how this this defense that is constructed to deal with Texas Tech and Oklahoma is going to deal with um Iowa like it's a it's 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 you know like an alien species from another galaxy schematically it's crazy yeah and the it's game, like, it's like a time a, machine <laughs> and that game always turns out to be terrible too I mean that's why they call it El Asico. oh yeah it's gonna they, be a mess last year that game turned on a punt literally it turned that that game hinged on a on a fourth quarter punt that <laughs> it's just it it will be a mess, um, but that honestly is really the theme for the weekend. When I was putting together the post, there are a ton of out of conference power five matchups this weekend that have z- uh, just zero buzz around any of them. Like Oregon's playing Ohio State, and that's a top that's two top twenty five ranked teams, and it just feels like a it feels like a nothing game. Washington is going to Michigan, and granted, that game has a lot less prestige on it because of Washington's loss to, uh, who was it, uh, uh, Double Montana. Montana, right? Yeah, oh. yeah. Like they got to play Sam is. Heward. They got to get Sam Heward in that. I want to see Sam Heward versus um, uh, JJ McCarthy. I don't like. I know Cade McNamara played well. Throw the uh, for Michigan. Throw the incumbents out. Play the true freshman. True freshman bowl. Five star quarterbacks. Let's make that interesting because the rest of the games, except for Iowa, Iowa State, are terrible. Yeah, it's it it it's it's not a great lineup all over, and some weird stuff too. Like North Carolina State going to Mississippi State. Just how did this even happen? It, you know, it's like it's like in the old days. Um, yeah, the old days. If you'd sim too many seasons ahead in in, in the NCAA football video game. Yeah. And it would just start picking random teams to put together for out of conference matchups at the beginning of the season. And you'd see these matchups just like these teams would never actually sign a contract to play each other. What what the hell's going on here? Yeah, stuff like uh and, and other stuff too, like Utah Brigham Young is is this weekend. And that that's it, I'm I'm not as tuned into that rivalry as I am at others, but that feels like a game that should normally be played in November. Like I don't know. Isn't that is that the Holy War? They call that the Holy War, right? Because Utah and Brigham Young, like that feels like one of those traditional late thir- late November games that for, I don't know whatever reason is being played this weekend. Yeah, I mean th- those teams aren't good. Like that's that's a bad game. That's you know they can you know they can have their uh, their you know their game that nobody outside the state cares about. I know I, I have a friend at the university of Utah. They're uh, they're certainly excited about that game, but like, man, it's I, for somebody who was, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, watching preseason football. Uh, I can't be excited about that. PK, why do you think there's so little, like, cause I, I forgot that Ohio state and Oregon are playing Saturday. Uh, but why do you think there's so little buzz? Because ESPN's not covering the game, and it's at like well, eleven, I think, or is it just we just don't know. I think, what, what's what is that? I think it's a combination of a bunch of things that are happening this weekend. Uh, one, it is the first week of the NFL regular season, which 
I don't know, did that kick off like a half hour ago or something as we recorded? Yeah, no, they just started. Both teams went three and out. Okay. Well, no, yeah, Dallas went right down now. three. Yeah, I am watching. Yeah, me too. How dare you? <laughs> but uh, it's a combination of a bunch of things. Uh, one, like I said, the NFL is starting this weekend, so that's drawing a lot of the action out of the room. Um, two, a lot of these matchups that would be big uh, have kind of stumbled. Washington, Michigan especially, uh, was something that I, I think might have been a pretty premier matchup that is going to be primetime on ABC that, thanks to Washington losing to Montana, has zero buzz about it. The other uh, thing is that um, a lot of these games, um, you know, a lot of the schedule this weekend got pushed back an hour um, and caused many of the games to get rescheduled for later in the day because it looks like every big network is doing something in the morning for the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Every network doing their own sort of multi-hour memorial service for the event is... I don't know. It's I don't know that wrong is the right word for what I'm feeling about those those decisions, but it just it, it's an odd broadcasting decision that has thrown kind of thrown the weekend into chaos. Uh, although it does get us some unique things like CBS Sports Network will be counter programming all this with Mercer at Army at 1030 and Air Force Navy kicks off in the 230 slot on CBS this weekend with an on-site pregame show from, unfortunately that game is probably not going to be very good because uh, I watch, I, as many follow me on Twitter know, I watch a lot of service Academy football and Navy doesn't seem to have a good quarterback this year, which means Navy is not going to have a good year, which means air force is probably going to run away with the commander in chief's trophy this year. Um, and I can see them run. The game has got a six point spread at, at our, Pick'em site, and I would take Air Force in as much as you can get on it because I think they're going to run away with that one. But I can also pretty much guarantee that uh, for Saturday in Tiger Stadium, I, I would bet my life that LSU Tiger Man they're going to do the same show they did, uh, the Amazing Grace shows that they did. Oh, from the Auburn, uh, yeah, yeah, the the Auburn, tw- yeah. Tw- yeah, that December show. Yeah. yeah, we we did it. My freshman year was eleven, and we did it for the ten year anniversary. Uh, for 2011, and I would I would bet almost anything they do it again for the 20th anniversary. Oh sure, yeah, and that's a great uh, that's a great show. I'll I'll try to get. Uh, I'm sure the band will put something up on YouTube. I'll try to get that up over the weekend because that is that is a very spectacular show when the stadium gets silent for that. Well, I think that's about it. Unless anybody's got anything else they might they want to say that they want to see this weekend, I just I, I hope I hope Coach O's son doesn't get him fired this weekend. Let's just say that. Oh, that would be like that would be such a cool story, though. Like I, I'm trying to th- like thinking about this objectively. I would be so rooting for that to happen for chaos, but that would be terrible for me because I would I I I mean I would go nuts, but like. Max out here hoping uh, for the tremendous content this weekend. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, like, I don't want that either, but also from, like, an analytics department, like, PK, can you imagine the traffic we would get if Coach O lost to his son and then got fired, like, immediately after the game because he got lost to his son? Yeah, I uh, oh, you say that, you say that like it would be so much fun to moderate that comment section after that. Yeah, that'd be yo. Oh, I can't, I can't wait, Zach. I'm, uh, I'm chomping at the bit to deal with that nonsense again. Just, just great. Well, I mean, people got really mad at me for saying that Max Johnson wasn't very good a year ago. So, like, you know, it's better when you end up kind of right. Except in this case, because I don't want to have a bad quarterback. Let me, uh, let me put that. I'm not rooting against the team. I'm not a. I'm not Frank Fleming with the Mets. Uh, I'm not rooting against the Mets. Or, I mean, LSU, whatever. I'm not rooting against either of them. Uh, if I, the fact that I have to get that out there means I'm a little behind the eight ball here. Well, I, I'm sure I'm sure all of our listeners in South Louisiana understood that Mets reference. You know, it's perfect. Hey, well, you know, now they kind of get what it's like to be a Mets fan. So, hey. you know, enjoy. This is my life. This was my escape, you know, like when the Mets season ended, I just got to turn on, you know, this good 
intermittently great college football team, and now I just turn on, you know, the South football Mets. Oof. I, I don't I don't like I don't like where this conversation is going. Zach Savas. Yeah, so that's why I don't keep up with baseball. Uh, we we've been going for about an hour, guys. Uh, it, it's it's so good to have sneaky good podcast back. I promise that we'll we'll do this more frequently. We'll have Poser back uh, hopefully next week. Um, you guys won't have me in a couple weeks. I'm gonna have my wisdom teeth taken out on the 20th, the week of uh, Mississippi State, I believe. But. Uh, yeah, th- thanks for hanging out with us, guys. It's been far too long since we've all done this, and I can't wait to talk to you guys next week.